Hello, and welcome to the Focus Church Podcast. Here you can find all of our weekly messages. We trust that God will speak to you today. Enjoy the message. We are concluding our fourth week of a series that we titled Airplane Mode, turning off the noise around us and turning up the volume of the God that lives within us. We've been really looking at attributes and characteristics of God that we find all throughout the Bible, and today will be no different. We love to teach the Bible around here. We're a Bible church. If you're looking for a Bible church, you found one. We believe in the full, uh, inspired Word of God. And we looked in week one at, that we serve a God who speaks. He's active. He's breathing. He's, he's actually looking to commune with you today and to tell you uh, what areas in your life need to be corrected. He's also here to affirm your love as we worshiped and as we gave him praises. He, he descends upon this house and he descends upon wherever you're at and he speaks to us. We also serve a God who listens. And so if you have requests today, you can bring them before the Lord and he will hear the cries of his people and he will turn his ear towards us and answer them. We looked at also a God who sees. Not only does he see us, but he has a vision for us. I'm grateful that we serve a God who has a vision for us. And today I'd like to preach to you from the subject, a God that moves, a God who moves. We don't serve a stagnant God. We don't serve a God that is in a lazy boy recliner, unwilling to help you in your darkest days. As a matter of fact, God moves so much that he sent his son Jesus down to earth. What a move. That he would send his son Jesus down to earth to be with us and ask us to follow him, which is movement in itself. So we serve a God who moved his son to ask us to move ourselves. The first request that Jesus gives to his disciples is to follow me. To lay down everything that you're holding on to and to start to move. So we serve a God that moves, who sent his son that moved. And then he asked us to follow him closely. And it's important that we not watch God work at a distance, but instead we learn to walk closely to God as he moves among us. We actually call this, what you experience today, a move of God. Why do we call this a move of God? Because we're not interested in a stagnant, stale religion. We are interested in a moving, active relationship through the power of his Holy Spirit that comes in and moves in our midst. Things begin to shift and begin to move. As a matter of fact, you walked in here today and you might not have moved, but God is moving. And if you want to get into the move of God, you must follow him closely. Your steps must be ordained by the Lord. It says in Psalm 37, 23, that the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. God will establish your movement. The young people always ask in the group chat on the weekends, what's the move? You ever heard that before? Is that what they say? I don't know. I'm old. I'm trying to dress young, but it's very uncomfortable. <laughs> they say, what's the move? You like these shoes, though. I know you do. They were a gift, just so you know. Well, pastor getting them expensive shoes now. They were a gift. What's the move? Well, God is at work. Are you in on where God is moving? You know, we obsess over steps. How many steps did you take today? I hit 10,000 before the sun rose. 
Have you ever given your father-in-law a Fitbit for Christmas? Changes their life. Everything becomes about their steps. <laughs> oh, I hit 9,000. I got to hit 10,000. We, we have gamified our own movement to where we compare and contrast our movement versus others. You look down upon me if I didn't move very much. Oh, I hit 10,000 today. How many did you hit? Not 10,000. As a matter of fact, in my, at my gym, there's a little, uh, where's my phone at? I don't know where I put my phone, but there's a little app, and it tells me how, how many steps I, I walked today. It tells me. As a matter of fact, I'm going to pull up my lifetime steps because that will be more impressive. My lifetime steps at my gym. This is just while I'm at the gym, okay? This isn't when I'm walking around here and, and, and doing other things. This is just at my gym, okay? Lifetime. When I say lifetime, I've only, been, I've only joined this gym less than a year ago, so bear with me. 628,892 steps. That is 290 miles on the treadmill. We are obsessed with the gamification of our fitness. How much did you move? How much did you, how many steps did you take? I mean, I know a, a father, not mine, but a different one who attached his Fitbit to a string, put it on the ceiling fan, and let it go around so that it would count as movement so that he could show his son that he was more active than him. We're obsessed with steps. I wonder if we could transfer that same obsession with movement in our own lives to how God is moving and what kind of steps God is taking. I wonder if we could become in step with what God is doing in America, what God is doing in your life, what God is doing in the church. I believe we are meant to follow God. If you're obsessed with how many steps you take, why don't we become obsessed with the steps that God is taking? Why don't we have an app that shows where God is moving? what God is walking, where he is going, what he is doing. I want my steps to be ordered by his steps, and we serve a moving, active, and, and, and moving God. So you have to keep up with him. You got to keep up with him. You got to move when God moves. You got to stop when God stops. The, the, the grave sin is to get too far behind God. And then another sin is to get too far ahead of God and try to manufacture or manipulate a move of God. But when God moves and you stay in tune with the Spirit, you've met those people. You know what you say about those people that are wise and anointed and covered by the glory of God? You say, they've walked with God. They've moved with God. You meet my grandfather, no matter how early you wake up, he was up an hour earlier than you. You could set your alarm for 2.30. He was up at 1.30 praying and fasting and reading the word and, and, and interceding. Why? Because he walks with God. He walks, he keeps his, his life in tune and in step with God. And I don't want this church to ever learn to live a life that's out of step with God. Because this will become tradition and practice and religion, and it won't become daily communal walking and moving and following. It's really important that you learn to walk with God. But before we can learn to walk with God, we need to learn from his son. And what, 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 where did Jesus walk? And how did Jesus use his feet? If feet are so critical to our, our movement. As a matter of fact, uh, I was doing some research on the military. And they have like full-blown like classes on how to take care of your feet during combat. Because if, you, if your feet 
are not functioning, then you can't fight the battle. They've said that it's the stomach that keeps the army fed, but it's the feet that keeps the army moving. It's, it keeps them moving. And guess what? We're in the army of the Lord. And if, you, if your feet are out of step with what God is doing, it could be damage to what God wants to do in your life. So we're going to do some soul care today. Now, I'm not talking about what you ladies do on Saturday mornings with your facial mask and, and the cucumbers on your eyes. I'm talking about the soles of your feet. Like, where should we go? What should we do? How should we walk? When should we move? And when we are obedient as a people, that soul care joke was terrible. Like S-O-L-E instead of S-O-U-L. But I even wrote in my notes, don't say that joke. And I still said it. Stupid. Stupid. Why are you doing that? It's important that we realize that Jesus himself moved on this earth. And his feet were a vital part of worship. And in those days, nothing about feet was meant to be uh, worshipped, adored, mentioned. It was like taboo. It was uh, disgusting, disgraceful. It would have been dirty. And to think that we have instances that we're going to see where people sat and worshipped at Jesus' feet, this would have been unheard of in that culture. You would have never uh, seen feet as something beautiful because they were so dirty and discarded and, and, and distant from what they wanted to claim as clean or worthy. Yet Jesus redeems the areas of our life that are most vulnerable. Jesus redeems the areas of our life that we want to hide from other people. Jesus redeems the feet of those who follow him. But let's look at Jesus' feet today. First of all, they were anointed. They were anointed. Jesus' feet were anointed. This is good news in Matthew 26, 10 through 13. It says, but Jesus, aware of this, replied, why criticize this woman for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, but you will not have me. She, pour, she has poured out the perfume to prepare my body for burial I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. This lady interrupts dinner to anoint the feet of Jesus, and the disciples were indignant. Do you know what the disciples' first response was? They pulled out their calculator app, and they said, I wonder how much that perfume cost that she is seemingly wasting on Jesus' feet. And he criticizes them and says, don't you dare start to calculate the expense of her worship. They had grown so accustomed to Jesus that they lost sensitivity to his presence. The disciples had followed Jesus for so long that they began to make a business out of worship. Who I'm preaching now. Those closest to Jesus, following him so closely, got so used to it that when someone came in and disrupted their meal with pure worship, 
They started calculating how much that perfume could have sold for so that they could have given the money to the poor. And he says, put away your calculator and let this woman worship. You cannot come into worship with an analytical mindset. You cannot come into worship with some, with some process that if we don't sing the right note or if we don't sing the right song or if the temperature is not not the right uh, degree, then, then you won't worship. You will become like Judas and the rest of the disciples that begin to analyze this woman's pure act to prepare our Savior for burial. When you come to worship, you don't come to sing. That's music. You come to, to lavish your praises upon the feet of Jesus. Let us never get so accustomed to Jesus that we neglect to worship him. Let us never get so used to Jesus that we neglect to worship him. I, 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 I'm always fascinated by how people are obsessed with the nuances of our worship experience. Pastor, that fog, that haze machine. Even other pastors, they walk in here and they go, first, first question they ask. You know what the first question they ask is? Take a guess what the first question they ask is. How much was that screen? How much were those screens? That's what they ask all the time. How much were those screens? It's like the number one thing in church right now. Moving from a projection projector to an LED wall. How much was it, man? How much was it? It's none of your business. First of all. Second of all, it doesn't really matter. Because we're creating a culture that would worship even without it. I'm, creating, I'm looking to create an atmosphere of worship that even if all technology was stripped from us, it would be pure, uh, unhindered worship. It would be so pure. And it would cause the disciples to say, how much was that LED wall? Who cares? You could take it all from me, but you cannot take my worship. It says that the lady broke the perfume at Jesus' feet, meaning that she just didn't open it, pour a little bit out, and then close it again and save some for later. She broke it. All of it came out. It was broken to the point of not being able to be put back in because she knew that he was worthy of all that she had. When you come in here on a Sunday morning, don't just open up your worship pour a little bit out, and then close it again. This might be your last chance to worship. You might as well give it all. You might as well give it all. Why? Because I believe that Jesus' feet are anointed, and it's worthy of the oil of my praise. It's worthy of the perfume of my praise. Jesus' feet were anointed. They were also worshipped, which kind of goes hand in hand, but there's something about lavishing your praises, and then there's something about worshiping at the feet. It says in Luke 7:38, then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing. This would have been so anti This would have been so bad in this culture. They were not about feet, just so you know. They were walking in sandals behind cattle and livestock all day long, dusty roads all day long. And to think that she would allow her lips to come in contact with the feet of Jesus is such a cultural no-no. She kept kissing his feet and putting her perfume on them. Skip down to verse 44. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me even water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Can I just speak to the men in the room today? 
your worship matters. It should not just be love songs to Jesus. This can be a war cry for you. You you don't have to sit back with your arms crossed, men. You can follow in the footsteps of this lady, and you could also lavish your praises. Well, those songs are just for, for the girls to enjoy themselves. Not at this church. This is how we fight our battles. We, we lift our hands, men, ladies too, but just think a lot of times even Jesus is correcting the men in the room about how the lady was worshiping. So men, lead your family in worship. Lead your family to the feet of Jesus. Lead your, do not allow Jesus to come into your house without you putting water on his feet. They worshiped. They were worshiped. They were also sat at. Jesus' feet were sat at. In Luke 10, 39, Martha, speaking of Martha, she had a, a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he says. This is a verse about the busyness of your life. Some of you haven't sat at the feet of Jesus in a long time. You have a diet of busyness that is unhealthy for your soul. And that diet will lead to a heart disease, not a physical heart disease, but a spiritual heart disease where you haven't heard from God in a long time because you're worried about what you need to get at the grocery store after today's service. You're worried about getting to the next thing that you have going on. And I just want to encourage you to listen at the feet of Jesus, to just take a moment and reflect on the goodness of God. I want to be a church that not only moves when God moves, but listens when God sits. Like the disciples would, would, would be with Jesus and he would go all around the town. And then eventually it would even mark in scripture, it would say, Jesus sat down. And when Jesus sat down, everybody knew what was about to happen. He was about to teach. And I want to encourage you to not just get caught up in moving with God, but also listening to God when he sits and when he rests and just listen at his feet. So th those are the, the three things that we find that Jesus' feet do. And I, I also want to bring to our attention what we should do with our feet. You know, like, what do I do with my feet? Have you ever been to a wedding and your spouse wants to dance with you? I don't know what to do with my feet. We weren't allowed to dance at our wedding. We were at a very conservative church. They made us sign a paper that said there would be no alcohol and no dancing. And for some of you, you'd be like, that's no fun. <laughs> we still had fun. We had pictures taken of us acting like we were dancing to not break the rules. And one day when we celebrate, I don't know, 20 years or something, maybe we'll throw a party and we'll allow dancing. We were at a wedding this weekend, and uh, I just don't dance. I just don't. I don't know what to do with my feet. I don't know how to move. Some of you understand this. Most of you are Caucasian <laughs> that understand this. You just got to stay in the pocket is what I've been told. I don't know what to do with my feet. And I think the same cry happens in the Christian walk with God. I don't know what to do with my feet. I don't know how to stay in step with the Spirit. I've never been taught how to walk with God. 
how to commune with God. I've never been taught how to follow him where he leads me. And so you get stuck just staying seated at the reception because you're embarrassed enough to ask someone, how do you walk with God? I don't want two left feet here in this church. I want us to be in the groove, in the pocket with the presence of God. I want us to to not have to be instructed like the cha-cha slide to the left, to the left, to the right, to the right by anybody else but by the Spirit of God. Lead us, guide us, instruct us, tell us where to go. May we not be a church that just stays like a wallflower at the homeschool prom. There's no such thing as a homeschool prom, just so you know. It's in the, the living room. You're just, it's, all the siblings are there. That's why I never went to prom. I was homeschooled. Sad. Four things we should do with our feet. The first one is we should walk with God. We should walk with God. This was modeled for us in the garden in Genesis that they had relationship with God where they were in step with him. They would walk with him and, when, and they walked and talked and they walked and talked. You now have access to the same relationship that Adam and Eve did through Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, you were given this new communal relationship that you can have with God. It's no longer some process or some tradition, but instead you can walk with him. You can walk with him. It says in Micah 6, verse 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What, what do you require of us, God? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. I want to be a church that walks humbly with our God. In order to do that, you need to walk daily. Like, Walking humbly requires walking daily. You got to get your steps in with God. This can't be the only place where you walk with God. This would be like you eating once a week and expecting some sort of healthy lifestyle. It would be like me only speaking to my wife for an hour and a half every single week and expecting our marriage to flourish. You must walk with God on a daily basis. I don't know how long it will be that we will legally be able to express ourselves freely as the church. So you're going to have to build in yourself and in your children a robust discipleship pattern of daily walks with God. Because it is those daily walks that will sustain you. It is the Sunday morning that will supplement you. The Sunday can't sustain you. It can only supplement that which you've done on a daily basis. And I meet so many people, they've, they, they think that the church is the answer for their walk with God. It's a sliver of discipleship. It's a sliver of wisdom. It's a sliver of maturity. But when you learn how to walk with God daily, what happens is you can come into his presence together. I don't want to neglect the assembly of the believers, but you can come not being so starving, not being so hungry. Oh, I just haven't had a word all week. You get to walk with God all day. I would hate for you to miss Christ. I would hate for you to miss Christ even though you come to church. I would hate for you to miss out on what God has for you daily because you've prioritized so much Sunday. And this is bad for business, right? Like the pastor telling you you have access to God without coming to church, that's really bad for business. But I'm telling you, that you have access to an almighty God when you wake up tomorrow morning. And when your boss has an offhanded comment about you and your work ethic, you have access to God to go before him. And when you and your wife are having a hard time on Tuesday, you have access to go before God together as a married couple. Don't let Sunday 
be the only place where you walk with God. You know, I, my friend was telling me one time, he was on a missions trip overseas, and he had a connection flight in Denver. They were headed to South Africa. This guy, he's like, how much time do we have, ma'am, until this flight takes off? And he says, um, you got, she says, you got 25 minutes. Oh, she said, great. I'm going to run to Starbucks. Runs to Starbucks. Knows there's 25 minutes left. Him and his wife get a nice little seat there, staring into each other's eyes over a cup of coffee for 25 minutes. About 20 minutes goes by. Gets up, goes to the gate. Five minutes left in his 25-minute window. Should be fine. The door is closed. The plane is backing out. And he gets a hold of the lady. He says, ma'am, you told me 25 minutes. It's only been 20. She said, yeah, everyone got here early. So we just closed the door. And I thought about this story. And I thought about the reality of church. How sometimes you can miss Christ, even if you're at church. This man missed his flight while at the airport. He was in the right place. He had already bought the ticket. (laughs) He was already prepared to go. He thought that he was ready. But no man knows the hour. And so you you can miss Christ even coming to church. If you don't walk with God daily then you won't be in tune with what he wants to say to you, what he wants to do through you, where he wants to take you, and what he wants to do. So please let our church be supplement and not the full diet. Let us be the vitamins, but not the steak. I just think it's important that you walk with God daily and you walk with him humbly. That's what you should do with your feet. What do I do with my feet as a believer? I walk with God. The second thing that you need to do is shake the dust. Shake the dust. Matthew 10, 12 through 15 says, As you enter enter the home, give it your greeting. Waza. Waza. Give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. Some of you need your peace returned to you today because you've been in environments that are undeserving of your greeting. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, which is a city that was plagued with sin. So it was detestable to God. They were so, they were so disgusting in their acts that God was not pleased with Sodom and Gomorrah. It says it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Meaning, if someone is stealing your peace, that is detestable to God. If you are in an environment that is robbing you of your peace, you need to shake the dust. You need to shake the dust. Now, this is not permission for you to pursue divorce. I have to clarify with these young kids just newly married, getting ready to be married. You don't get to shake the dust from your spouse. You came into covenant, okay? You can't be like, hey, by the way, I'm shaking the dust from you. Now, if there's abuse, neglect, and you're in danger 
you need to get a hold of one of our staff members quickly. So I'm not, I'm not saying you have to submit to abuse or danger. What I'm telling you is that this isn't just an excuse to when you get tired of being married, you shake the dust. Now, some of you haven't entered into covenant, and you need to shake the dust. Because that man can't pray. He hasn't given to a church in 10 years. And he flatters you with his words, but Jesus would be displeased with his lifestyle. And you need to shake the dust before it's too late. Before you're trapped, and many could tell you, many might be on their second marriages, that they, they should have shook in the dust before they got married with their first spouse. So can I tell you something right now? If you're in a relationship and not committed, not married, not haven't made a vow, you need to shake the dust. If you're in a work environment that is toxic for your peace and stealing your peace, you need to begin to pray that God would open up opportunity for you to, to shake the dust off your feet and say, I'm done with that. It's, it's important that you realize that your peace is your decision. That God will rest in that job. And if it stops resting, if the peace stops resting in that environment, it's time to pray your way out of it. I'm not giving you permission to go quit your job. I'm asking you to pray that God would give you the job that brings you peace. And many of you, you have to shake the dust uh, really in a way that doesn't embarrass you on the internet and make your drama public. You need to shake the dust quickly and shake the dust quietly and just move on. It's time to move on. I, I, I met so many immature people that don't shake the dust properly. And so they're out there with a rug in a tennis racket, shaking the dust, and it's causing everyone allergies. And you've exposed your drama when you should have just shaken the dust quietly and quickly and moved on. A wise person shakes the dust quickly and quietly. An immature person wants to post all the drama, all the tea, on the internet every day for everyone to see their dust. And that's not what this passage is saying. He's saying once you don't have inner peace, shake the dust and leave. Not saying that you call together everyone in town and say, I'm here to shake the dust. I think a lot of us shake dust that God has already settled. He's like, hey, I'll, I'll handle it. The dust is settled. You just need to move on and move back and move out and get out of the way. Some of you have been shaking dust on relationships that were over five years ago. Stop going to his profile. Stop looking at his photos. He, you are obsessed with someone that is no longer obsessed with you. Shake the dust. Some of you flirt with things that are in your past. And God is calling you to shake the dust today. This is a word for somebody. I know somebody's getting something out of this. You're called to move quickly and quietly. I don't need to know about all your drama. Facebook doesn't need to know about all your drama. Step back. Step away. Block him, block her, remove the number, and move forward with your life. One of our elders one time told me, he said, he said uh, don't worry about what people think about you, because there probably aren't. <laughs> it's true. Shake the dust, man. Don't worry about what people think about you, because they're probably not. That's a good word for somebody. You're like, I do need to forget him. I need to get rid of that. The shrine to your past must be dismantled. 
This idol worship of your previous life must go away so that you can shake the dust and your feet can go where they need to go. Some of you are entrapped by your past, and it's not God's fault. It's yours. God has no desire to keep you in your past. There's nothing in Scripture that says God will keep you in your past. As a matter of fact, almost everything points to a hope and a future and a redemption that is greater than right now. Your ladder will be greater than your past. Shake the dust. Shake the dust. Move quickly, move on quietly, and move on peacefully. It says in Ephesians 6.15, And as shoes for your feet having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Some of you need to put peace back on your shoes. Where you go, you need to bring it. And if it's not there, you need to leave it. The next thing you need to do with your feet is you need to run the race. You need to run the race. Once you've, once you've walked with God, you've shaken the dust, and then you get to run the race. This is so important. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. What the Bible is saying here is start to run towards Jesus. He has suffered. He has endured the cross. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. You can run this race too. Don't give up. Man, we got a lot of people giving up these days. They're giving up at the first sign of, 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 of opposition. They just throw in the towel. How many businesses are you going to start? How many diets are you going to start? You've done day one of P90X 90 times. Essentially could have completed the program by now. If you don't know what the P90X is, just look it up. It's old school. DVDs. You don't know what those are? Look those up too. It's time to start running again after God. It's time to, to know that anything you're going through, Christ went through on the cross. And so you're not running ahead of Jesus. He's already been through what you're going through. So, so as a matter of fact, I think it's important that we build up a, 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 an O2 level, an oxygen level that can handle running the race that's marked before us. To not get lazy and lackadaisical on our pursuit of God, but instead to run after him with everything we have. We've lost the running muscle in our church, and I'm going to bring it back to where there are, are things of holiness and righteousness that we run after the throne room of God. Sin cannot keep up with your pace when you run. It says, throw off anything that hinders you and the sin that so easily entangles you. Basically, you can outrun your sin if you pursue God and look to him and look to the cross and look to the throne. You can outrun your sin. You're faster than your sin. You're faster than it. The problem is you stop running and sin catches up. It happens a lot. And Christians that are bored, particularly Christian men that are bored, they stop running. And then the moment you stop running, evil thoughts start to come in your mind, evil practices, evil habits. And what happens is a bored man is a dangerous man. So if you should be exhausted by the end of the day. 
for how much you pursued God, your wife, and your children. You should be tired by the end of the day. A man that is wide awake at 4 p.m. with nothing to do is a dangerous man. Can I just speak to the men of this church right now? You need to be tired at the end of the day from pursuing God, pursuing your wife, and pursuing your children. That's by providing for them. That's by worshiping the Lord, walking with him daily. But if, at, if you're playing video games at 6 p.m., nothing wrong with video games, but when they become your idol, I, I, I believe the Lord has called us to run this race and to be exhausted from pursuing him. There is no greater feeling than being exhausted after pursuing God all day. I'm not talking about burnout. That's something different. That's your calendar. I'm talking about spiritual pursuit of God where you've poured out everything before him. You've poured out everything before your family. The problem is, is a lot of times you have energy left over and it gets put in the wrong direction. Then you start going to lunch with your secretary and you just justify it. Oh, it's just lunch, coworker. You need to lavish your praises upon God. Lavish your... Lavish your love upon your wife and your children. You got to run. It takes running, waking up early, running, running after God. I know this is heavy. I didn't mean for it to be that way, but it's just truth. It's like everyone that I've ever counseled that has fallen, it's because at some point in their life they got bored. They got bored. Don't get bored. Run the race. Throw off anything that hinders you and run the race. Because sin can't keep up with you. If you're so busy running, you won't be busy sinning. Like when you're busy pursuing God, sin takes care of itself. Not that you don't repent, not that you're not a sinner, but what I'm saying is like, show me someone that's constantly pursuing God. I'll show you someone who has a a lifestyle of full-blown repentance because they're constantly pursuing God. Run after God. Run after God. When you run after God, sin can't keep up. The last thing is that we need to carry the gospel. We need to carry the gospel. What do our feet do? Well, our feet walk with God. They shake the dust. They run the race, and they carry the gospel. Some of you, your feet are trying to climb this corporate ladder, and it's unfulfilling because it's got no gospel to it. Wherever you go, you don't carry the gospel. You carry your own significance. You carry your education. You carry your status. But when you carry the gospel, it provides eternal value to everywhere you go. It provides a light in the darkness. The word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You must carry the gospel. One of the greatest Old Testament and New Testament reflections upon our feet is in Isaiah 52, 7. It says, how beautiful, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet. For them to talk about feet in a beautiful way is very strange. What God is speaking here is that he's going to redeem even the parts that were hidden. How beautiful are the feet of him or her or her who carry the good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your your God reigns. It says in Romans 10, 14 through 15, how then, help us carry the gospel, how then shall they call on him? whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they are sent 
as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Your feet should carry the gospel. Everywhere you step foot should be gospel, the good news. Someone should be done with your your meeting and they should say, what walked into this room was the gospel of peace. They steadied the ship in my life. Many times we're so busy running our own rat race that we forget we're running a race for God. The gospel is on our shoes. We're meant to carry it. Our church is positioned with an opportunity to carry the gospel now more than ever. On Monday, after three long years of negotiation, school starts. It's a real thing. It's not a mystery. You know, it's school started, which is awesome. The Lord's convicting me on Monday morning. We're out here. We gave cards to the, to the teachers with a Starbucks gift card on it. Let me tell you something right now. We're called to carry the gospel. And it, a lot of churches pray that God would bring lost people to them. And God has done that to us. 350 cars Monday through Friday driving onto this property. How awesome is that? We're called to carry the gospel. So on Monday, I, I stood out in the parking lot. I worked the parking lot for this school. They don't even know it. I was a greeter. I was just a parking lot greeter. I was saying, hey, happy first day of school. I love those shoes. You got a great haircut. And we pass out little hand sanitizer bottles with little invite cards. And on the, the carpool line on the way home, like for them to be picked up, remember this happens, it's 10 times a week, Monday through Friday, morning and evening, morning and afternoon. They come to this church more than you do. I mean, I have to, I have to like convince you with like money to come here twice a week, you know? They're coming onto this property 10 times a week. What an opportunity. And the Lord showed me this prophetic picture. Now on Monday, 3.30, whenever they were being picked up, the parking lot, they had like carpool lane. It didn't stop at Destiny Drive. It didn't even stop at, at Tar Heel Club Road. It was all the way, do you know where the river is? The little, the little pond and the dam that you drove past, maybe if you came from that side. It was all the way down Mil, Old Mill Burning. And the Lord showed me a picture of a harvest of souls that when these people get to the end of their rope, they don't know, when they lose all their hope, when they don't know what to do or where to go or who to, who to call on, they'll know exactly where we are and that we would be so ready for the harvest that the same traffic jam that happens five times a week, it would also happen on Sunday morning. That it would happen. That it would happen here and that it would happen at our Apex campus and that it would happen all around the city. We must be ready to carry the gospel. Another thing that's happening is we got 17 weeks on WRAL starting next Sunday, which is amazing. To think in a world that we live in, that they would let someone like this ugly mug be on for 28 minutes and 30 seconds on Channel 5, the, the most popular channel in this. We're not talking CW22 here, okay? We're not talking about some rabbit ears that you have to put aluminum foil on just to get the channel that we're going to be on. We're going to be on NBC, WRAL Channel 5 from 1130 to noon on, in, during football season. The football game starts at 1.00. We're going to be on 11.30 to noon while guys are preparing the grill and getting ready to tailgate. These messages, the messages that you hear every single week are going to be on television. 
And this is such a great opportunity for us to be prepared for the harvest because they're going to say, I know of a church in our town. I've turned on the TV every Sunday. I see this young little preacher in skinny jeans and he's, you know, fireball. I don't know what they'll say about me, but that's what I'm guessing. Maybe they won't. They say on average, the Nielsen ratings, they sent us the Nielsen ratings for that half hour. It's an average of 8,000 homes for that half hour every single Sunday. So we have to be ready to carry the gospel. It's never been easier to invite your friend to church because now you can say, hey, set your DVR, channel five, 1130 to noon every single Sunday. It's important, church, that you realize that this is a move of God and we must stay in step with him. And what I would, what I would love for you to do is to not retreat right now and to not back down, but to lean in, to lean in, to carry the gospel. One of the ways that we do that is by serving. If you're not serving right now, I, I, I want to encourage you. People that are going to drive onto this property are going to need a welcoming face, a smile. People that are watching us on television need more camera operators and more people in the back. Kids that, come, that are coming that don't know Jesus in their formative years need to be trained up. And we need them. If you're not serving right now, you're missing the move of God. You're spectating and not participating. And this isn't, wasn't a sermon about serving, but I feel like if we're going to ask God for a harvest like the school has 10 times a week, we have to be ready to serve in, in such a way that we carry the gospel. So I want to encourage you to go to give, uh, I get to serve.com. I get to serve.com today. If you don't want to do the internet, I don't do the internet thing. Fax us. I don't care how you get us your information. Send a pigeon. Grab one of those cards and just write your name on it and say, I want to be an usher. I want to be a greeter. I want to be on the schedule. Someone, someone put me on the schedule. It's important that we carry the gospel. And one of the ways we do that is by serving. That's one of the ways that we do that. And we need everyone. If you're like, I'm an introvert. I don't like to talk to people. We got a team for you. It's the count team. They get to count the money back there. You don't have to interact with anybody. You're just going, one for you, one for me. No, you want to do that. There's always three people back there. It's got background checked, all the things. I'm just making a joke. Someone's like, oh, my goodness. Someone's stealing. No. Only those that aren't tithing are stealing from the Lord. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. That was too harsh. I'm so sorry. Bring that back. Hold him back. Hold him back. Hold him back, Lord. Shall thou not rob God? That's what it says. Let me finish with this. Y'all hate me now, but that's okay. Staff meeting tomorrow. Pastor, stop talking about money. The offering's at the end. It's okay. When Moses comes onto the scene as the deliverer in the Old Testament, the first thing that God speaks to him from this burning bush is he says, hey, take off your, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. He addresses a, an area that even in, in the Old Testament especially, you would never do that. In the old, he breaks the veil that kept him between him and God. He says, you're standing, I want to commune with you at a level of intimacy that you're not ready for. Take off your shoes, you're standing on holy ground. Then when our deliverer comes on the scene, Jesus, the Messiah in the New Testament, 
John says this. John says, uh, in John 26 to 27, John told them, I baptize you with water, but right here in the crowd is someone who you don't recognize. Though his ministry will follow mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. So even John recognizes how low this act is of interacting with the feet of anyone in the Bible times. Yet God calls Moses to take off his sandals to untie him so he's standing on holy ground. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie this Messiah's sandals. And then, right before he goes to the cross, Jesus does this, John 13, three through five. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, heavy, it's a heavy day for Jesus. He's about to carry your sin and my sin, past, present, and future. And that had come from God, was going back to God. He rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash. He began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Moses, take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. I want to interact with you. John's like, the one that's coming is so holy, I can't even untie his sandals. And yet Jesus, our King, our Lord, our Savior, the last day of his life, one of the last moments, the last acts that he does is he takes off his outer garment, wraps it around his waist, and tells his disciples, I'm going to wash your feet. What a good God we serve. That he wouldn't say, that's disgusting. Your sin is disgraceful. Get away from me. You've been walking in a bunch of stuff. I'm not going to touch you. But instead, he says, I'm going to serve you humbly. I'm going to serve you. And our King, our Lord, our Savior, proves his love for us. Not by climbing some corporate ladder or by showing you some motivational speech of significance, but by stooping low to service and saying, I love you this much. That the parts of your life that are vulnerable, the parts of your life that you're trying to hide from me, the parts of your life that are dirty, wretched, that you don't want anyone to see, those parts of your life, I'm willing to go the distance for you. Will you do the same for the people in your life? The ultimate sacrifice on the cross was preceded by one of the ultimate signs of service, which was washing the disciples' feet. And we're called to do that as well today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. You've used a sermon about feet to change our lives today. May we never be too proud to humble ourselves. And may we never be too arrogant to analyze worship. May we walk with you daily. May we walk with you humbly. May we shake the dust and bring peace and carry the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Would you stand to your feet? Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. This ministry is made possible because of the generosity of many people like you. To partner with us, you can click the link in our description or visit gifttofocus.com. If you like this podcast, you can subscribe now and share it with a friend. 
For more inspirational content, subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Focus Church. Join us next week for another incredible message.